What it means is we learn from difference. I learn nothing by talking to somebody who sees the world exactly the way I do. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, free speech, funding, and more with the president of Skidmore College. Well, Mark Connor has been president of Skidmore College, a private campus in Saratoga Springs, since 2020. WAMC's Southern Adirondack Bureau is located on the campus, and our reporter Aaron Shalo Levine, a Skidmore graduate himself, sat down with Connor for a wide-ranging interview. Here's their conversation. You will be announcing shortly, um, you're already up on the website, that you are joining the college presidents uh, for civic preparedness. Tell us a little bit about it, about the organization, and you know why it's important for you to um, be joining this group of presidents now. Definitely, yeah. Thank you, Aaron, for the opportunity. It is great to be here. In my fourth year here as Skidmore's president, arrived in June 2020, uh, perfectly timed for the global pandemic. Uh, it was a it was a rough way to start, but I'm I'm very proud of how we've done as a community, and and really feel blessed to to be at such a great school. And this project, uh, College Presidents for Civic Preparedness, or CP2, as we call it, uh, very connected to, to what we do at Skidmore. It, it is really, it's, it's a group, it's, it's only about a year old, it is a group of college university presidents who have gathered together in common cause to uh, enhance the education of our students for civic democracy, for participating in uh, uh, the civic and democratic sphere. And what we really are doing is recognizing that although there are many outcomes of undergraduate education, we want our students to think critically, we want them to, to, to do well in the job market and so forth, participation in civic democracy, taking a leading role, no matter what, no matter what they're doing in their, in their work lives, taking a leading role in their communities is vital to that mission. Because really, the, 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 the point is to contribute to civic democracy, which is a great responsibility, as well as a great privilege. And so one of the goals listed on um, the organization's website is to provide students with meaningful civic educations and opportunities to develop skills, habits, practices, and norms for living in a pluralistic society. What are your plans as college president to be able to realize that goal on Skidmore's campus, either in or out of uh, the classroom? I love that question because it's it's easy to talk about something like civic democracy. We need to have plans to put it into action. Uh, to, to actually do things for it. Of course, a lot of this happens in the curriculum. Our faculty are teaching obvious courses in politics, econ, sociology, where civic democracy is both studied and, and challenged and understood. In, in other areas, like my own field of English literature, it may be less obvious. But if I'm teaching a course on Shakespeare, for example, what does that have to do with civic democracy? Well, Shakespeare is all about how the individual relates to the state, how we combat tyranny, uh, what, what these emerging freedoms are like. So you can connect it in the curriculum in all sorts of ways. We've got a number of programs where students are engaged in the community in so-called service opportunities. And these are, these are great opportunities for our students. Students today are so eager to serve and to connect to a community. What this tries to do is to make more overt the connections between what students do in college and how they are part of civic democracy. 
and also, and this is I think particularly important in our own historical moment, how to cultivate the kind of community on our campus that encourages the principles and skills of civic democracy. So the most obvious example there is the commitment to freedom of speech and dialogue across difference and multiple points of view. College campuses give us a unique opportunity for bringing difference together, but it also, and we've seen this uh, uh, in spectacular fashion uh, this fall and winter, it also is a, is a hotbed for this sort of thing where conflicts emerge and it becomes difficult to, to uh, be open to other perspectives. So that is both a unique challenge and a unique opportunity that college campuses have. Yeah, and sort of you started to allude um, to this next question of you know schools, not just in our region, but across the country, have been grappling with protecting uh, a free exchange of ideas and providing students with opposing worldviews to be able to communicate productively and have respectful conversations with one another and a respectful exchange of ideas. Um, how does this organization play into Skidmore's role in ensuring that those spaces exist and that uh, ensuring that those conversations between students can happen uh, not only between students, you know, outside of classes, but again, between students and professors and to forward that idea of learning how to be more civically engaged um, people once they graduate. Yeah, you know, freedom of expression, uh, like democracy, it, it's easy to say, and it gets hard to do when the pressure is on. And, and that's really where we have been on college campuses since October 7th. Uh, we suddenly find ourselves in a situation where people are hearing things and countering ideas. They could be slogans, they could be symbols, they could be essays. Uh, they certainly are social media expressions where they are hearing things that they, that they truly hate. They're hearing things that offend them, that frighten them, and that are certainly connected in places in the world with violence. The response on some campuses has been, thou shalt not, don't let them say that, shut them down, censor that, and, and understand that. You hear, you hear speech that you truly hate, uh, the, the desire is to stop that speech. One of the things I've been saying on our campus is, the speech that we hate is not therefore hate speech. Hate speech is, is very specific, it's connected to immediate violence, intimidation, or harassment. Uh, there are things we hear that are offensive, but what that really is is contested speech. It is speech that can mean multiple things. Uh, a slogan that is hateful in one context uh, has a very different meaning in another context. And what is so important about contested speech is it needs to be engaged, needs to be interpreted, and it needs to be debated. And this, again, is something that college campuses are uniquely poised to do. But that requires skills, it requires consultation, it requires the right formats. So these are opportunities for different campuses who are facing some very similar challenges to, to band together, to bring maybe the same speakers or the same outside consultants or the same mediators to campus, uh, to find ways to, it, it's very helpful for campuses to see we're not the only ones facing this particular problem. It's happening here, it's happening there. It's way worse at this place, it's a little better at that one. Why is that? What are the circumstances for that? Uh, seeing that, that we're in this together uh, it's not just that misery loves company, it's that understanding these are not unique challenges to any one community helps us see what the larger challenges are. And, and together we're able to avail ourselves of some really smart, thoughtful people at these other schools and these other organizations to help us all do this work a little bit better.
over my time as a student and the summers that I spent working here and now again um, approaching essentially another half of a year um, working on campus, I've seen a number of student-led protests, rallies, walkouts, you name it. Most recently, of course, have been a handful of student-led, again, protests, walkouts, rallies, all of the above, concerning the ongoing bloodshed and conflict in Palestine and Israel. Among those specific demands include um, divesting from the Israeli economy. They include calling for or joining them in their calls for a ceasefire. Um, they've also criticized some of the communication that your office has given uh, about the issue. How are you responding to these demands? Yeah, you know, one of the things I have always said and will continue to say that uh, dissent, protest, demonstration, these are signs of a healthy campus community. These are signs that we have robust expression, that we've got engagement with ideas. I want these things to be happening on a college campus. We've been working very closely with our students throughout the fall and really over the last several years in order to make sure those expressions happen with, within the broad structures of, of a supportive community. So you can't interfere with the educational process. You can't block access to buildings and to, and to school, uh, school facilities and so forth. Uh, and then, of course, there, there also is an eye towards actual physical safety. We haven't had any confrontations. We haven't had any moments of violence, uh, uh, any of those things that, that have happened at some other schools. Part of that, I think, is, is a great credit to the Skidmore students, who I have learned always lead with kindness. As a very important point to make about these demonstrations uh, at our campus and, and other places, these are 18 to 22-year-olds who are trying to make sense of one of the most complex global crises that the 20th and 21st century has ever seen. Nobody's been able to work out this, this conflict. Here they are trying to understand it, trying to figure it out, and they want to take a moral stand. They want to make some sense out of this, and, and I would encourage that. Uh, that, that's part of what they're trying to do. Now, they're also learning that you take a moral stand and then you hear another perspective and you realize, oh, wait, it's not quite as straightforward as I had thought, or mm, I got to take this into account, or gosh, I hadn't thought about how what I am saying is impacting my friend who took intro econ with me last year and lives down the hall, and, and suddenly she's seeing it very differently than I am, that's an invitation to more dialogue, more understanding, more perspective. So, so we're actually trying to encourage that sort of thing. Now, the role of the college president and the role of the college as a whole is to bring as many different perspectives together as possible. Uh, there, it is absolutely inappropriate for the college to take a certain position on, on any of these sorts of issues, any kind of global, political, national, political issue. We don't endorse one political candidate over another. We don't take a stand on certain political issues. Uh, and certainly something like this, uh, there, there's no way that I could speak a coherent stance that captures the views of all 2,600 students, all 1,100 employees, all 38,000 alumni, you can imagine how diffuse the perspectives are. So we bring perspectives together, and we've got done multiple programs in the fall and, and in the weeks to come that bring a lot of different perspectives together on this. 
Each perspective is going to irritate somebody. Each perspective is going to offend somebody. I, in a way, if, if it weren't, we probably weren't doing our job appropriately. You want to bring the ones that are going to be most contested and, and are going to help push our thinking in as many ways as possible. That's our role, keep our students safe, encourage their expression. Uh, you know, the students who are demonstrating, I've told them you're engaged in legitimate political expression, and we support that. Let's work together. Let's take care of each other. Keep in mind the, the human quality of your fellow students who maybe view these things very differently than you do. Understand that as passionately as you are about your view, they're equally as passionate about theirs. And what makes this conflict especially difficult right now is everybody on our campus knows somebody who is directly suffering right now. They know people who have died over there. They know people who are, who are uh, 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 experiencing uh, uh, great suffering. So again, the students want to take a stand on that. So we want to encourage that while also helping them see there's enormous complexity to this, which makes any one stand already problematic and already subject to challenge. If what I'm seeing on social media is correct, which sometimes it isn't, um, as soon as tomorrow when students um, organize either, I'm not sure if it's going to be directly outside of your office or outside of the building that you're off, you know, with outside Powell Mountain, what are you going to say to them when they are trying to speak to you directly as the president of the school with this list of demands calling for a definitive stance to this issue or calling for you know, the end of the violence in the Middle East? You know, what are you prepared to be able to say to them? My preference is always to meet one-on-one -on -one or in small groups with students, hear what they have to say, get into dialogue with one another. I learn from them. They may have a chance to learn some of the other things that, that I'm hearing. Because although, again, it's not my perspective on the Middle East conflict that is paramount here, I am the one who's kind of the the hub of the wheel who's hearing all the different perspectives uh, repeatedly and consistently. Uh, so maybe I can help share uh, some of the thickness uh, of what I'm hearing. M my stance is always towards dialogue and understanding. So uh, uh, putting forth demands is not always the most successful way to move towards dialogue and understanding. But it, it's where often we begin. Uh, you know, we begin at that moment and then we, we move together from there. Um, getting together over a table, seeing each other eye to eye, uh, talking about the issues as we see them, uh, that's the sort of thing that I'll continue to encourage. What are some of the ways that you would like to see Skidmore improve on its ability to host dialogues either about divisive topics or topics that are important and, and should be talked about and you know will prepare students to be able to engage with these challenging ideas once they graduate? What are some of the steps that you want to take as the president of the school to encourage, again, the platforms of, of the CP2? You know, one of the, one of the things a college does naturally is it, it brings lots of perspectives to campus. And we're doing that really well with the Israel-Palestine crisis right now. We've had a number of speakers, a number of panels. In two weeks, we got the Combatants for Peace program. Our faculty are teaching courses on the Middle East conflict. So I think we're, we're doing well on this particular issue to bring a lot of perspectives. The bigger challenge is, is really what you're getting at how do we prepare our whole community, students, faculty, staff, 
to be, to be open to other perspectives and to engage in them in a respectful and constructive way. So last year we made one of our five strategic goals for the year, speech and expression on our campus. Last April we held a two-day symposium titled Speech and Expression on College Campuses. We brought three major speakers from, from very different political backgrounds and spectrums. We had a, a faculty panel, Skidmore faculty, talking about their take on speech and expression on campus. And I'm especially proud we had a student panel, five Skidmore seniors, talked about uh, the way they've engaged with speech and expression in the classroom, in the residence halls, on social media. Uh, and, and this is the sort of work that I think we need to lean into. And so we've made speech and expression one of our strategic goals for this year as well because uh, college students are eager to engage, but it is a very high pressure time in terms of sharing those different perspectives. Some of this is, is not necessarily a negative thing. One has to be a little more careful with speech that 25 years ago was freely allowed and that was really offensive, was really cruel, was mean, was uh, in many cases racist and sexist. I, I'm kind of glad that I I monitor my speech more closely than I did 30 years ago. I think that's, that's a, it shows respect. It shows a recognizing the humanity of people. I think it's been pushed so far that now people are terrified to talk about things. People don't want to talk about race right now. Well, that's something that America, given our 300-year legacy of race, really needs to find ways to talk about. Gender is one of the most personal and precious things to every single one of us, people are confused. How do we talk about gender right now? Am I going to say something that's going to offend, that's going to get me silent, censored, canceled? Again, social media has really exacerbated the tensions here. So I feel like on our campus, we have a responsibility to, to foster occasions for people to come together in contested issues and, and find ways to talk about them that are respectful, that are civil, that are tolerant, that indeed welcome contestation. One of the things I like to say is, if you walk onto our campus expecting not to hear something with which you disagree, we'd be failing at our job. You should be hearing something that, that kind of upsets you or, or maybe even uh, uh, sets you off every day on a, on a good college campus. Again, that's a sign that we're succeeding in our mission and what we're trying to do. Talking about other um, initiatives that Skidmore is taking, um, you also recently announced that you would be joining QuestBridge as, you know, a college, uh, as a program that encourages, you know, a broader base of student identities. How does this play into all of the things that we've been talking about so far? We're very excited about this. Yeah, the partnership with QuestBridge is 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 a great a great achievement for Skidmore. It it puts us in the company of those schools that that we most admire and that we most kind of cohabit with. Uh, QuestBridge is a remarkable organization. Its whole effort is to match students of great talent, great potential, great achievement, who are coming from either socioeconomic or school preparation. That, that puts them at a disadvantage compared to students who come from places with, with more resources. Uh, and that's not a judgment, that's, that's a, a, an expression of, of fact. Um, so QuestBridge puts those students in, in contact with great schools that they would be very interested to attend. So it enhances the diversity of our community in every way, socioeconomic, of course, uh, in other ways as well, uh, because as we know, other kinds of diversities in America track with socioeconomic uh, uh, status and level. 
And uh, I've had experience with Crestbridge at my previous institution. There, there are many top schools that work with them. The, the students that they bring to a campus are among some of the most remarkable, talented, uh, driven, high-achieving students uh, that are in the country. And, and we talk a lot about diversity and inclusivity. What it means is we learn from difference. I learn nothing by talking to somebody who sees the world exactly the way I do. But when I put myself in conversation with people with different backgrounds, different experiences, different perspectives, that's where learning is, is most exciting. And that really is what diversity is all about. Inclusivity is about how welcome do we make each other in that diversity. And, and if anybody doesn't think that's a challenge in America today, they're looking at a different country than I am. Inclusivity is both one of our biggest challenges and one of our biggest hopes. That's always been true of America. So if in our campus we can foster diversity and enhance the sense of inclusivity, that everybody feels like, I belong here, this is my home, I'm respected here, I've got, I've got kinship here, I've got neighbors here, that's the kind of community that we want to build on our campus. And our QuestBridge partnership is a key step in that effort. Given the announced closure of St. Rose in Albany, what is Skidmore's long-term outlook, and is there any possibility of the same thing happening here? No, there is not. I can answer that one very, very straightforward way. Uh, our our outlook is 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 extremely bright. Uh, we are in such a relatively strong position. You know, the things you look at for an institution's ability to sustain what is certainly the most challenging and competitive landscape in higher education. Uh, uh, probably in the history of, of American higher ed. You, you look at financial resources, so you look at a school's endowment. Uh, Skidmore's endowment is not is certainly not as high as I would like it to be, uh, uh, and there, there are some constraints that we have there. Uh, you know, we're ranked somewhere in the mid-30s. Our endowment level is in the 60s, so that shows that we're doing a lot with what we have. Uh, the other thing that you measure it by is applications. Are students eager to come to your school? Uh, we continue to get uh, applications. You know, we had about uh, eight or 9,000 10 years ago. Now we're in the, the 12,000 plus range. Now that's wonderful. Uh, the other piece is uh, we are a tuition dependent school, as almost every school is. That means it's not just getting lots of applications, but also applications from students who are able to pay the full tuition and fee. Now, I talked about diversity and inclusion. Uh, being able to make this education affordable to students is a vital part of that. We meet the full financial need of every student we admit. Uh, over 50% of our student body is on financial aid. But it means we have to continue to attract, uh, you know, 45% or more Who's, who's the students and the parents will look at Skidmore and say, this place is worth it. It's worth paying the, the extraordinary cost that an education like this uh, commands. So I'm invested in doing all we can to show we win that value proposition. Students who come here will get four years of an amazing educational experience. They'll also have four years of transformative living and learning, which isn't quite the same as what happens in the classroom. It's all the other wonderful things that happen. And they will leave here prepared to succeed in the world, prepared to compete in the ever-increasing, increasingly competitive global landscape. That's our, that's our commitment. That's our mission. Uh, and right now, it is clear that people are responding to that 
in a way that makes Skidmore a very exciting opportunity for them. And what is Skidmore doing, if, if anything, to help um, the displaced students or professors from St. Rose? Yeah, we've had conversations with uh, all the different presidents and chancellors in the capital region. Uh, you know, when something like this happens, it ripples throughout throughout uh, the higher ed landscape. Lots of people have asked me, as you've asked me, is that going to happen at Skidmore? What does this mean? And so forth. And, um, you know, my sympathy for St. Rose, such a great institution, has been so important to this region. Um, it's uh, uh, one of the things that we're doing. We, we always uh, accept a certain number of transfer students every year. And so we are, you know, continue to be open to that possibility for, for students at St. Rose. It, it's complicated, you know, uh, uh, the, the school from which one is transferring, uh, the, its, it's uh, um, academic offerings and mission need to align with the school to which one is applying. So, so one of the things they're doing at St. Rose is trying to figure out where can our kids best align. Uh, if, if those kids are in a, a nursing program, that's not something we have anymore. Uh, other institutions do. Uh, if those students are really committed to playing their sport, that's a complicated transfer. Can they find a place where that can happen? So at a school like Skidmore, every application is unique, and that's true of transfer applications as well. So any transfer applicant is encouraged to contact our admissions office, talk about how they might fit at Skidmore, what the possibilities might be, and we're here to support them in that effort. What is the status of uh, the ongoing negotiations with non-tenured and adjunct professors who are trying to unionize? Yeah, the, uh, the negotiations continue. We're in the collective bargaining agreement stage. Um, we haven't done that with faculty before. Most, most private colleges don't have a unionized uh, faculty, uh, non-tenure track faculty. So it's a learning curve, uh, both for the non-tenure track faculty and for the administration and our and our negotiating team. My sense of that, I don't involve myself in those negotiations. Uh, that's a, a level of detail that I leave to, to the professionals on both sides. But my sense is the, the whole point is to get the needs of the institution and the needs of the employees in as much alignment as possible. And that's really what, what is driving this. So it, like any negotiation, uh, it's a back and forth. It's a give and take. There's proposal. There's counterproposal. There's compromise. There's, uh, uh, there's argument, as, as there ought to be. So that's the stage that we're in. My understanding is it can take a long time. It can take a, a couple of years for the, the, the first agreement to come into place. Then, you know, I, I think it, it proceeds in a more a more patterned way. Of course, we have a, a long tradition of, of unionization at Skidmore. We have uh, multiple unions in our, in our trades areas and among staff, and those, those negotiations happen on their cycles and, and are pretty amicable and professional, and that's certainly what we aim for in this one. What's your current take on, on the role and, you know, use, I guess is the best way to put it, of non-tenured and adjunct professors in higher ed right now? Because there's a lot to be said about how colleges and universities are using their labor, uh, potentially without fair compensation. You know, where would you like to see Skidmore fall on that? You know, Aaron, this is a question that, that has a real personal meaning for me. Uh, my mother was uh, an instructor, a non-tenure track faculty member at, uh, at a private liberal arts college in Washington State for 43 years. And I saw her go from a one-semester appointment to a one-year appointment. I remember when she got her first three-year 
contract, what a difference that made. Uh, learned firsthand about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you plan for your future when there's a certain degree of uncertainty? Uh, I had uh, several years of uh, uh, contingent appointments, as they call them, at different institutions until I got my first tenure-track position. Um, so I see it from, from some deeply personal experience. I also see it having been a provost and now a president. Uh, uh, institutions must rely upon short-term positions in order to meet needs in the curriculum. Uh, Tenure-track faculty go on sabbatical. You need a one-year replacement for that position. Uh, there's lots of reasons why a certain a certain degree of that, uh, and it varies so much from institution to institution, community colleges, state universities, private colleges, uh, et cetera. The, the important point for me, and this is what I learned from my experience and, and from my mom's, frankly, is uh, those, those faculty are part of the community. Those faculty are teaching our students. They're part of the mission. Uh, we talk about a community of care at Skidmore. That that extends to everyone. So whether you're an endowed full professor who's been here 30 years with tenure, or you're a new minted PhD who's getting a chance to teach some courses for a year before going on to hopefully a tenure track job somewhere, uh, they're all equally important in my eyes. And, and trying to find a way to communicate that and really make it felt, I think, is vital. Coming off of a very long and successful tenure of Phil Glotzbach as a president, who made a tremendous impact not only on the Skidmore community, but the surrounding Saratoga Springs area. What do you, again, in, in the beginning of your role as the president of the school, what do you want to see your legacy become? What kind of impact do you want to leave on Skidmore's campus? Well, you know, I, it, it, it's hard for me to, to think about legacy uh, because since, since I arrived, I mean, our focus has been, you know, day to day, getting through the pandemic. Uh, now this year, even when the pandemic seems to be receding, uh, you know, new challenges arose with, with the atrocities of October 7th and, and what has followed. Uh, but, but, you know, I, th I think the legacy is, is really what, what Skidmore wants to be. And I'm, and I'm glad that you started by talking about Phil Glotzbach's achievements. You know, over his 17 years, Skidmore grew, progressed, and achieved in remarkable ways. I'll just give the most obvious, well, one of the most obvious examples, the, the Billy Tisch Center for Integrated Sciences, a $150 million building, cutting-edge science equipment, a new model of integrated scientific teaching, which Phil led in close connection with the faculty, with the Board of Trustees, incredibly audacious project. And I said from the beginning, you know, thank you, Phil and Skidmore, for bringing that, for, for, for bringing that achievement almost to a close when I arrived. If, if they hadn't, that would have to be my main objective for the next decade, uh, because a great liberal arts college cannot be great without cutting-edge science facilities. So that, that's a great achievement that is kind of carried over to my time. My hope over, over this, this decade or so is, you know, what were the things Skidmore couldn't get to because the science project was so all-consuming? Uh, and, and we're turning to a number of these right now. The McCaffrey Wagman Tennis and Wellness Center. Again, I talked about mental health and wellness uh, being one of the, the, the biggest priorities on a college campus right now. I'm really proud that we are meeting that uh, with this project, having all of the health and wellness support and facilities in a brand new building, uh, 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 cutting edge facilities for our students and our community. 
and beginning to address some of the long-term athletic facility needs that, that really, I think, were on the back burner for, for all sorts of reasons for, for some time. As we move into a new strategic plan, my question for our community is, what else is out there? that we need to address. I certainly have seen some needs in residential life, especially the uh, residence halls for the first year and sophomore students. You're nodding with, with greater understanding of that. Uh, but more than that, not just you know where do you lay your head at night, but what, what kind of communal spaces do students want in, in 2025 and beyond? What are some of the ways they want to come together? How can physical space uh, uh, contribute to that sense of community that I've talked about before? Uh, where else are those needs? What are the faculty going to say? Is, you know, this is what, what we really see as a, as a burning need for Skidmore in the next decade and more to come. So those are, those are the questions I want to ask. If, when I do think about legacy, it's about how, how can I continue to support uh, the really remarkable and I think unique sense of kindness, community, and creativity that we have at Skidmore. That's, that's our bread and butter. That's what makes this place unlike any other place. Uh, and that's what I'm really committed to sustaining here. Okay, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.